0: Hi, this is Herb Pressel, editor of Radiology, and today I'm joined uh, by Dr. Patrick Boschut, who is professor of clinical epidemiology at the Academic Medical Center uh, at the University of Amsterdam. And he and his colleagues have authored a very fascinating study uh, in this month's radiology entitled Overinterpretation and Misreporting of Diagnostic Accuracy Studies, evidence of SPIN. Welcome, Dr. Boisitz.
1: Welcome. Pleasure to be here.
0: Did I pronounce your name correctly?
1: Yes, you do. It's a Spanish town. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Uh, Now, we've all heard of uh, political SPIN, but what is it that you mean using the term SPIN in scientific reporting?
1: In scientific reporting, we refer to SPIN if authors present a too generous Uh, present interpretation of their study results, or present the information selectively. So it's not a case of fraud, but actually a case of selective reporting and generous representation.
0: Now, why is this a potential problem, and who should be most concerned? The readers, the authors, the public? Uh, What do you think? Uh,
1: I think that the readers should be most concerned, and the decision makers, because not everybody has the time to read the full protocol and the full paper and they will concentrate on the abstract or the conclusions or the bottom line message or the title and that title and the abstract may be a bit too generous in terms if you compare it to the full study and has been conducted.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. We commonly see a disconnect between the stated purpose of the study And the conclusions. The conclusions are frequently not a direct uh, relationship uh, to the stated purpose. So what did you actually do in the study that you reported uh, in this month's issue?
1: Well, we actually we made a search of the literature and identified over a 100 diagnostic test accuracy studies. So these are studies in which the test is compared against the gold standard or the clinical reference standards and we looked actually the way in which the conclusions were framed to identify cases of actual spin, so generous uh, interpretation of study results or two rosy uh, presentations of the study results. And in addition, we looked for elements in the study and the study report actually that could facilitate spin, actually that could make spinning the the results easier in study reports uh, if these elements were present compared to when they're absent.
0: Okay. And uh, if I recall, you your study included both imaging journals and diagnostic accuracy studies in other journals that were not imaging journals.
1: Exactly. So we uh, included all forms of medical testing, both imaging and non-imaging. So it was not spe- specifically, uh, exclusively targeted imaging studies, but it covered a wider range of medical tests.
0: Okay. And what did you find? Could you highlight some of the key results?
1: In both in imaging studies and in non-imaging studies, we found that approximately one in four of the papers has a, a very optimistic abstract. So the abstract is presented in, in, in a way that's slightly, as I said, more generous to the study findings compared to the full body of the paper. And we also found that the uh, conclusions in the abstract are usually a bit stronger, actually sometimes even much stronger than the way the results were phrased in the actual body of the paper.
0: I see, and did you find any differences in the spin in imaging versus other types of, of journals?
1: No, to our surprise actually, we always I always tend to believe that things are a bit different in imaging because of the stronger research culture that uh, I see in the imaging world, but uh, to our surprise the results were very similar. Uh, in imaging uh, studies as in the non imaging studies
0: now uh, in your in your paper you distinguish between what you call actual overinterpretation and potential overinterpretation can you just highlight the difference between those two
1: yes i do with actual overinterpretation you can compare the study results actually with the conclusion and you may identify uh, cases in which the conclusions are too strong compared to the actual study results. So that's over-interpretation or a generous representation of the results. Now, uh, potential uh, interpretation, these are conditions in where specific study elements are absent, so, which makes it easier for the authors actually to present the results in a somewhat rosy way. Let me give you one example. Sure. Um, If you don't have a specific study question, a well-specified study question, and are evaluating a test, you can select and pick from the results in such a way that it makes it easier for authors actually to present the results in an optimistic fashion. So not having a specified study hypothesis, for example, uh, or not presenting precision, uh, estimates of precision, confidence intervals, makes it easier for the authors to present to uh, present the results in a generous fashion.
0: I see. Now in the actual overinterpretation category, and as you know, most of these actually are found in the abstract, the over optimistic abstract, conclusions or representations based on selected subgroups, or a discrepancy between study aims and conclusions. And I, I don't know if you've seen this article in PLOS where they actually looked at spin in the abstracts and how that finds its way into uh, press releases and into the media for the general population. So this is this is a uh, a problem that spreads. So the misleading information doesn't just rest in the abstract; it frequently I'm goes sorry. well beyond that. Uh,
1: yeah. Now the problem may be even worse, uh, Doctor Crusell, because we st- we compare the body of the paper with the abstract with the paper. What we did not do and could not do is compare the actual study protocol with the study report and the abstract. Yes. And we know from randomized clinical trials that there are sometimes differences between the study protocol and the study report. Sure. So uh, so this is only the final end of, let's say, the, the life of a uh, diagnostic accuracy study, and the problem may be even worse than we have been able to identify.
0: Now, you also reported a larger group of what you call potential forms of overinterpretation, and unfortunately we probably don't have time to go through all of them, but which do you think are the most important ones that our listeners should be aware of?
1: I think the absence of a well phrased study question or study hypothesis makes it easier actually for authors to be generous in their interpretation of the results. So I think readers should be invited to carefully look in the paper for the study aim, the study purpose, and to see whether the conclusions match the study aim and the study purpose.
0: Good. And then uh, I guess this follows along from that. For readers, any other hints on how they can kind of, where they see a potential opportunity for overinterpretation to make a decision as to whether it's actually present?
1: I think matching the study question name, as I said, is yeah. most important. But another element could be actually, for example, the selective reporting of subgroups, uh, to name one. Yeah. So, for example, if uh, the authors compare four different subgroups and only compare on the ones in which results are significant or most prominent, then that's uh, probably a bit too generous interpretation of the quality of that test.
0: Good. Uh, that's something, by the way, that we... When we have our weekly editorial meetings, that's exactly the com- kind of discussion that we have virtually every week. Now, uh, in your paper, you note that not pre specifying the thresholds of positivity or cutoffs, for example, in an ROC analysis, is a, a potential cause of overinterpretation. Now, why actually is this a problem? What sort of a problem does it cause?
1: Well. The problem is that if you don't specify the positivity threshold before, but only select the one based on the study, on the performance characteristics of your test on that threshold, uh, it seems like you're doing a good job because you're selecting the optimal point. But if you do that on limited sample sizes, there's the element of error, actually of random variability, and the performance of your test will be overinterpreted. I see. And this is not a problem if you have thousands of patients, but if you have a small sample size, as most studies have actually, we know from simulations and other studies that the performance is overestimated. Right. Now, we see
0: this very, very often in articles that have submitted. And as you know, most of the studies that are submitted to our journal are retrospective single center studies. And the authors are struggling with the issue of getting an adequate sample size. So for them, the problem is it might take a long time for them to gather enough material for a separate test and a separate validation set. So do you have any suggestions here? In fact, some of our statistical reviewers have suggested doing what's called a leave-one-out crossover analysis to account for the bias in not pre-specifying a cutoff. Is this reasonable, or do you have any other suggestions?
1: I think it's definitely reasonable, and I think that all methods to correct for the bias and for the optimism should be encouraged. But we should also not forget the fact that authors could be encouraged to do more multicenter studies. Yeah. So I think it should be uh, that everybody in imaging and elsewhere should learn that actually that it's a, a good thing to work together in collaborative multicenter studies. So increasing sample size would increase precision and remove some of the bias, as the one we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's an important issue. Now, what happens most commonly in our journal is that it's listed as a study limitation. And so we worry, we put it in there to make readers aware, but, you know, as you say, that doesn't show up in the abstract. And as far as the take-home lesson that a reader has, we don't know if they get the importance of that study limitation. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So these things are buried in the discussion section with the study limitations, but very few of the study limitations make it to the bottom line message, take home message of the paper, and very few of these study limitations make it to the, let's say, the abstract. And I know an abstract is only 250, 300 words, but I think we should encourage to attenuate the conclusions given the study limitations.
0: Good. Now... Uh, to some, uh, you know, we're all encouraged when you do presentations to put your best foot forward. And I can imagine that to some authors, there's a fine line in distinguishing between trying to put your best foot forward and presenting your results, which is natural, and frank over-interpretation, where you kind of take it too far. Do you have any advice to authors in this regard?
1: Yes, I think, so uh, Generate the tendency to... Uh, present things generously is common to all of us, actually. It's what we do in social life and in interaction. And there's intrinsically, well, it's very human. And But as scientists, actually, we should have the individual courage to take on the responsibility to uh, follow the rules. So that means we should be trained as scientists to be cautious in our interpretation. But even, the, I think, the collective responsibility is even larger. So that as your reviewers, uh, your editors, and we as researchers, should correct one another and point out uh, authors when they slightly cross the line of being true of, of being true to the facts on the one side and too generous on the other side. And I think in the end, even patients will benefit from that.
0: Uh, I, I agree totally, and I, I would also call our readers' attention to the editorial that we wrote uh, about your article. And, and there I think we highlight the danger, really, uh, if uh, biomedical research is viewed as spin-laden, uh, it will undermine confidence in the entire uh, discipline and ultimately uh, do serious damage to research and the support for research uh, throughout. So I, uh, with that as my final note, I want to thank you for your article and for participating in today's podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very
1: much. My pleasure.